Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. When I say sex doll, what do you think? Seeing a picture of a doll is not the same as actually being in the same room with a doll. There's like a different presence that they have. Hear about the intimacy, creativity, and deeper meaning of synthetic love. The first thing I did was just like hold her and whatnot. And and I, I gave her a kiss. And it was just like, this is everything I'd hoped for. Plus, get a history lesson on what these dolls were like before they became so realistic. The real first sexualized use of these dolls, I believe, was was on sailing ships around the 17th century. And is there only one purpose they serve? So there's a lot of different reasons. Artistic, beauty, lovable objects, companions, and sexual partners. I'm Kion Wolf. Hear more coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Okay, so here I am, minding my own business, recording an interview with a woman who studies the use of realistic-looking babies as therapy devices, as one does, when, as an aside, she brings up the idea of how sex dolls are sometimes used as overall life companions. To which I reply, okay, looks like we're doing a show about that. Thank you very much. And now here you are, listening to the beginning of a show about sex dolls. Although my second guest, who has four synthetic partners, says don't call them sex dolls for reasons you will definitely understand by the time the credits roll. But in order to understand why, hashtag not all sex dolls are sex dolls, we have to start off calling them sex dolls. And we've got to get a little history on the long-held human compulsion to recreate the almost always female human figure out of... Well, whatever's available. Oh, and while we don't get explicit in this episode, we do get kind of close to it here and there. So if the kids are within earshot of this, use your discretion. Anthony Ferguson is the author of The Sex Doll, A History. And I figured I'd start with the first question on my mind, which was, why would he write a book about sex dolls? It's a very long story. Many years ago when I was at university, in the 80s, I lived on the campus. And for one birthday, my flatmates thought it'd be a good idea to buy me a blow-up doll. And um, this doll became like a, a butt of you know, great humor and jokes. And uh, I was doing arts. I was an, an English student and we studied like history, philosophy, language, discourse, culture, popular culture. And I was looking, and we didn't have exams. We just had constant assessment with essay writing. And I was looking for a good topic to write on. And my friend said, why don't you write something about, about sex dolls and the commodification of women and you know, the ideal representation of the sexualized woman? So I approached my professor and said, uh, put it to him. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. But I want to see the object because he knew I had one. So I had to give him the essay and the object itself in a box. Um, I've still got the essay. Uh, I got 85%. Do you still have the sex doll? Uh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, she went down a long time ago. I used that uh, article when I was looking to get myself published in different areas because uh, now I'm a horror writer and a bit of a true crime writer. 
I rewrote the essay and sort of toned it down a wee bit and made it more sort of jocular. And then a bit past then, I was looking at, to write a book, and I think it was my wife said, why don't you write something about sex dolls? And that was like a good 20 years ago. So I, that's when I started researching and uh, really getting into the, the meat of the subject or the plastic of the subject. <laughs> oh, we're going to get along just fine. Um, <laughs> all right, so back me up. What, what's the, where does all this start? Um, well, there was always a fascination with uh, mechanical beings and, and Pygmalionism and statues and things like that in, in, in ancient worlds. But the real first sexualized um, use of these dolls, I believe, was was on sailing ships around the 17th century. Uh, they say in French, from my research, came up with French and Spanish sailors. Uh, they were made of cloth and just strung together in any way possible. There's no actual proof of any of them still existing. So, but, but there's a lot of stories about them that, that this was actually a genuine thing because when you think of it back in those days, there were sailing ships, there were very long journeys. Um, women were considered bad luck on ships, so they weren't allowed on board at all. Uh, so they, the only alternative was um, sodomy or masturbation. So apparently they created these these um, these rag objects and uh, shared them around the crew. And those who were higher up got the first use and the best use. And I don't think they were cleaned very thoroughly either. You don't say. Mm. And... Um, the first blow-up dolls would have appeared after they, they started to um, to create like inflatable objects, you know, use rubber, create tires, things like that. Uh, the first sex Wait shop, a minute, wait a minute. What what tires? Well, when they invented rubber and then they could inflate tires for cars. Oh, I see. But, you know, it, it would have taken on from there. Because if you think about um, new technologies, like if you go back in history, as soon as a new technology is created, evolves, it isn't long before men use it to put it towards a, a sexual avenue like... Um, uh, cameras invented, you know, first first dick pic. Films invented, first porn films, like late 19th century, very early 20th century, the first little porn films start to appear. So so they, they would apply it to more prurient matters. Um, the first sex shop, I believe, came out, uh, was uh, opened in Germany in uh, Hamburg in 1962. And that's when you would have first seen sex dolls appear on the scene as a commodified object. Oh, going out before that, there were people who would advertise in, barbershops and gentlemen's establishments and clubs that they could create like a perfect uh, sexual object object woman for you out of certain materials if you wrote to a certain number. So like in places like France and, uh, and England. Now, when I think about sex dolls, the, the first thing I think of is the picture of the sex doll that's, that's on the cover of your book, which is this sort of <laughs> uh, plastic blow up sort of crude she looks shocked <laughs> I that, will you talk about that doll why is that the sex doll i have in my head um that because that's the classic one that when you think of uh, look in, in um, like um high school movies there's a few around you'll see the guys carrying around a blow up sex doll they're the, the butt of like student humor for, for, for years and years on end and for a long time people thought that's all that sex dolls were and that particular image uh, yeah, the publisher chose that, but I, that is actually the, the doll that I had. It looked exactly like that. So you feel nostalgic at all when you see her? <laughs> yeah, I miss her. Her name was Miss Elizabeth. All right, well, then let's get into the great evolution then. what? How did we get from uh, people having sex with 
rags made to look like dolls on ships to uh, the ones you'd see hauled under arms on campuses to what now, the Great Evolution? Well, I, as I understand it, there was a gentleman in California called Matt, Matt McMullen that was a, an artist and sculptor. And he was uh, contracted to build some lifelike replicas for the movie industry. And people started uh, emailing him and saying, hey, could you could you perhaps make some of these things and make them sexually functional? And I'll pay you a considerable amount of money for it. So it evolved from, from there. And um, he decided to, to make them uh, sexually functional and um, very beautiful and artistic. And obviously, he would have used online forums to market them. And, and there's a huge subculture of people. Uh, we call them technosexuals, I think they, they, they're called, or they were called. Like people who are interested in, in uh, dolls and robots in, a, in a, um, an artistic and or a sexual manner. So they, the industry would have grown from there. So it was taken off in California. Uh, the Japanese in particular were, were interested in it. And uh, when I was doing my re- research, all the companies I found were were in the States, in California, in Japan, in South Korea, uh, and France and Germany. And it just sort of spread. And we'll get onto it. But I've, I've, I've done some um, some recent digging and, and seen how we're, what's happening with it now. And it's quite it's evolved a lot more. Are you finding that over the course of the evolution of the sex doll, is it always only about sex no that's what i learned um it's not just about the sex they're um people just like them for silent companions like some people have like a a dozen sex dolls and they might not even use them sexually they just like them as beautiful artistic objects to have around and you know they might even talk to them they don't want them to talk back maybe some people do but some people don't so there's a lot of different reasons artistic beauty lovable objects companions and sexual partners. Are there any male sex dolls that you found? Usually you find the ratio is 10 or 20 to 1. There's one or two male sex dolls, and the females just come in a huge range, a huge range. So there are male sex dolls, but I always find um, like women are smarter than men, and, and they sort of like narrowed it down and just took the, the, the important bit about a century or so ago. Uh, the vibrator and just use use that and threw the rest of it away because it was useless. But yeah, there are male sex dolls and they can be utilised by men or women. The range of female dolls is just incredible. There are there are curvy buxom ones. There are anime dolls. There are obviously all the different races are represented. You get much more range. So obviously the clientele, the money is is obviously um, from men. They're obviously bigger collectors. But then again, women can buy female sex dolls as well. Okay, let's talk about some future stuff. What do you think we can expect to come in the synthetic relationship world? Yeah, yeah. The dolls are just amazing. Like the the verisimilitude, the reality, they're just absolutely stunning to look at. But even better, well, better for consumers, the price has come down incredibly. Like when I was writing a decade ago, they cost about eight to ten thousand dollars. You can get one now for um, $2,000 Australian, this is, so what they're in US, yeah. So they're very affordable. There's another one called an AI robot. They can speak and you can teach them new vocabulary and words. Um, Their lips move. Their eyes move. They can wink at you. Their head and neck can move and swivel around. So they're getting very, very close to being like full-on robots, Quite, quite. As, as, as I said, in a way, it's a bit terrifying because one day, of course, they will demand autonomy and rise up and destroy us all. 
That's right. Yeah. Now, there's still one thing they can't do. They can't stand up yet. Thank God. Oh, good. <laughs> they can lie down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they can kneel too. And, uh, but there's a little apparatus in the back of the neck apparently and with a little hook thing and you can stand them up that way. But, yeah, I actually went to the Museum of Sex in New York about five years ago and there was a there was one of these dolls there, not the robotic ones, but just a, a real doll. Um, and I was hoping I could get a good look and maybe have a feel. I mean, I'll feel the silicon and the object. And no, it was in a big glass case. So I couldn't touch it. Someday. Someday. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. your wife probably, I guess. But what does your, I mean, your wife seems, clearly you're married to her. And so she's awesome. Uh, and she knows you and loves you. Um, what does your wife think about sex dolls? <laughs> I think she's a bit terrified by the concept of them. But then again, she thinks that everything I do is quite freakish and disturbing. And she still said I do. Yeah. Well, Anthony Ferguson, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, no problem. Anytime. When we get back. The first thing I did was just like hold her and whatnot. And, and I, I gave her a kiss. And it was just like, this is everything I'd hoped for. Meet a man with four synthetic partners, including his wife, of over 20 years. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about synthetic partners. Because, well, according to my next guest, and many like him, they're more than just dolls. Dave Cat, a pseudonym he uses to protect his identity because he's been very open about having and loving four life-sized artificial human dolls. Dave Cat refers to himself as a technosexual and an idolater. And the four objects of his affection, including his wife, Shidore, are called gynoids. Because androids are male-presenting artificial beings and gynoids are female-presenting. But I'm getting ahead of myself, and Dave Cat can explain this much more eloquently than I can. So here he is telling me his earliest memory of these dolls, which he now so dearly idolates. The first experience that I remember thinking, well, synthetic people are cool, not necessarily synthetic people are sexy, but just like the idea of synthetic people going, wow, that's really interesting, would be like... This would have been like second or third grade. I would have been in French class at school and basically like just watching my French teacher like right on the blackboard and whatnot. And uh, just thinking to myself, you know, if she were a robot, exactly what sort of mechanisms would she have to like make her move her arm or speak or turn her head or look around or conjugate a verb or whatever. And that was just like kind of something that was in the back of my mind for years of course, this would have been around the mid to late 70s, so I'm sure Star Wars had some part in it. You know, I'm like only a vague Star Wars fan, but, you know, that's, I think, the most exposure that a lot of people around that time period have had to humanoid robots. So as far as like, you know, see, that's the thing. When you say synthetic, do you mean gynoids? Do you mean androids? Do you mean dolls? You know, I don't even know what I mean. <laughs> that's an important distinction how would you define the the people who you live with now um yeah they are definitely synthetics i basically use synthetics as a catch-all term for dolls humanoid robots gynoids which are 
androids, but female presenting androids. And androids, which are male presenting humanoid robots. Redundant. But uh yeah, they're they're all synthetics, they're all dolls. Uh I do not use the term sex doll or love doll because I think it's really kind of like flattening of a term because it's I mean, which Dore and I especially have been doing for the past twenty years have been like trying to tell people it's like, well, you can have dolls for more than just something to have sex with. You can actually have a relationship with a doll, um, a partnership. Even if it's like just like friends. I mean, we know idolaters that basically have dolls that they don't have sex with or don't even have a romantic relationship with. They're just like photo models, you know. But as long as you have some sort of at least a small spark of creativity, dolls can be so much more than just static things to, you know, put yourself into, you know, for lack of a better term. Will you talk about how you first met Shidore, who you refer to her as your wife? You've been together for over 20 years now. Congratulations. Tell Thank me you. about how that how that came to be. Um, well, there's two stories. Uh, there is a story where basically uh, my best friend had showed me the Abyss Creations website, Abyss Creations being the company that makes real dolls, uh, around 1998, thereabouts. And... Um, I had never heard of such a thing and she knew that I had like a fascination slash attraction to artificial women. And uh, she said, well, Dave, get this, I think would be right up your alley. Uh, she didn't let me know how much they were. How much were they? Uh, they started at $5,000. Back then. Back then. Uh, they still averaged about that price. But, you know, keep in mind, if you're someone who has a part-time job making $9 an hour, you're going, okay, $5,000. I've never had that much money in my life. So it was something where I was just like, this is something I think I need. This is someone I think I need. Because I'd never really had any success with dating. I'm not the most, like, outgoing person there is. And I guess maybe too picky for my own good, for better or for worse. And, uh, you know, I saved up for a year and a half. Uh, after bumping up to a job that made $10 an hour. And uh, basically uh, having Shidore brought to the front of the townhouse that I was living in, in uh, July of 2000. And uh, we actually didn't start out like, you know, being married. It was kind of like a courtship that lasted about three or so years. And then at some point we decided, you know what, we might as well make it official. Official. I want to back up for a second. This is a, a doll, yes, but it means something to you. And so when Shidore arrived, what was it like to open that box? Like, bring me back to that moment. <laughs> My God. I, I had a job that was basically having me work third shift. So I had basically a time window of from eight in the morning to five in the afternoon to like wait for this giant crate, this giant wooden crate to show up. <laughs> transported by a diesel truck so of course so romantic oh yeah i know that's, that's how a lot of people meet their significant others <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so i'm like looking out the window every couple of minutes listening for a truck and then the truck shows up at like i think like 4 30 or so and i had to help him move the crate in and you know of course i like gave him a tenor and like shoot him away and uh <laughs> this is private yeah, it's just like, you know, this is something that, you know, you don't need to be a part of, but thank you for bringing my girlfriend home. So I had my screwdriver out so I could, like, get all the screws out from around the side of the door and, you know, I had to, like, unlock the door. And it's like I'd seen pictures of dolls in crates prior to that. But seeing, it's, it's what I tell people to this day, seeing a picture of a doll is not the same as actually being in the same room with a doll. There's, like, a different presence that they have. 
And when I opened that door, it was amazing. She was just sitting there in like this black teddy, black stockings, holding up an artificial purple rose in her hands. And just, she was strapped in so that she didn't fall over, obviously. And it was just like, I literally could not speak or move for like a good, like five minutes. Maybe it was about three, but you know, I had to unlock her, get the straps off her. And the first thing I did was just like hold her and whatnot. And, and I, I gave her a kiss and it was just like, this, this is better than I expected it to be. This is, this is everything I'd hoped for. And keep in mind, she's not even fully out of her crate yet. So <laughs> how did she feel in your arms? Can you describe how she feels? She was, well, all dolls are basically all the real dolls, I should say, are, uh, sil- have silicone skin. And, uh, the silicone back then was like a little different than it is now. It's, it's a little more oily, but the thing is before they ship out a doll, they like will powder them down so that there's like a more smooth texture. And, but there was just like a substantial, feeling of a person in my arms you know and it's like if you can like actually like manipulate their arms around you as well it's just it's the same thing for the most part as having like an organic person hold you and it was just like just holding her and knowing that she like went from this goal this dream that i had been working for like you know a year and a half towards to someone who is there was absolutely phenomenal and someone who you know would always be there as long as you wanted that is not something that we who only date or connect with organic people we'd never know that and you as soon as you touched her knew that you'd never have to worry about that yeah the presence that a doll brings they have a verisimilitude that is I mean, you can't match it. Well, I mean, I guess you could match it with organics. But I mean, the thing is, it's like, like you said, you know, a doll will always be there. It's like, I'll always come home. All my partners will be there. They're never argumentative. They're never criticizing. They're incapable of lying. And there is just an amazing comfort and presence to someone that you know will always be in your corner. And a lot of people will say, well, it's like, well, if you have that as a static person quote unquote then then you don't really grow as a person because you know with a relationship you have to have like some measure of like obstacles to surmount to be able to grow as another person and my response is if you want obstacles you can meet any other person on the face of the earth that's like saying that you can't ever grow as a person or be happy single without any other human looking thing in your life which isn't true thank you you know, it's this this whole idea that you're the the notion of being a whole person is predicated on being an, of being in the presence of another person and interacting and colliding with another person. It's just like, yeah, that's something that really needs to be assessed. You said that you and Shirore have were together for three years and then you got married and um, obviously you can't get married legally. But to you, between you, you're married, and so I wonder. First of all, like, how was the wedding? How did it go? What was it like? Like, tell me everything. <laughs> um, basically, it, just the idea of us making it official was just completely arbitrary. The thing that like spurred us to to move from partnership to marriage was the fact that like 
I was looking on a website that had like a marriage certificate, cer- online marriage certificate. So, you know, that's oh, totally definitely legal. Um, <laughs> and the date just happened to fall on a Friday the 13th. And I tuned to the Mrs. O's just like, you want to do this? And she's like, you're sure. Fine. Let's do this. So you want to renew our vows at some point, like actually maybe have a ceremony or something. The closest thing we would have to like an actual ceremony is that uh, I wanted to get a Shinto priest to bless her because uh, there's like a little bit of me that's like sort of animist, which, you know, of course, is the belief that like everything, whether it's alive or not alive, has some measure of spirit at the very least should be treated with respect. And Shintoism is like uh, that. that's one of the tenets of its philosophy. And Shinto priests in Japan have like been blessing all sorts of non uh, like inanimate objects for like years. It's um you know they've done fighter planes and boats and that sort of thing, but um as Japan is a much more animist country than the United States is, they have several doll companies of their own, and um, at some points where you have idolaters who have like felt they've moved past like having a doll or they want to try with an organic or whatever circumstance they don't want to throw away their doll but what they do is actually return the dolls to the companies for which they're made i don't know if it's all companies it's usually i'm thinking of this one company called orient industry but orient industry will actually have shinto priests deconsecrate the dolls in a ceremony called uh the, this ningyo kuyo i believe so it's it's like basically sending the doll spirit back to whatever ether it has come from so um, if I could get like a Shinto priest to like do something with my lasses, that would be really cool. But apparently there's only a few of them and they're mostly on the West coast. So save up for that plane ticket, plane tickets. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious earlier when we were talking about your marriage and, and you turned to Shidore and you said, you know, Hey, you want to do this? Yeah, let's do this. There's a part of you that is, your instincts, your your creativity are forming these personalities, right? You're reading them in in them. I mean, you, they even all have uh, Twitter accounts, varying degrees of interaction within those Twitter accounts. I understand one of them forgot her Twitter password, and she's not going to go figure it you out. You have done she's not so much research that it is That's spectacular. Public radio. Awesome. That's public radio, baby. <laughs> um, but what I'm curious to know is, for you... This is also an act of creativity and it's, um, it's a creative, I'm not quite sure. How how do you put what that is, what is going on in in terms of reading and interpreting these personalities from these dolls? What's going on in you in that? And it's also sort of like an improvisation as well, wouldn't you say? It's like being an author and creating characters for whatever book that you're writing or whatever story that you're writing. But, you know, my characters happen to be physical, you know, exist in a three-dimensional space. That's the throwaway answer. A little more complex answer is that every single doll who lives with me has some aspect of my personality that makes up their part, part of their personality. Elena is from Russia, and she really digs uh, the Soviet space program, the former Soviet space program. That's one of her things that she's really into. Miss Winter is our local punk, has uh, gotten into a couple of fist, more than a couple of fist fights. Used to play drums. Uh, Diane is really into art house films, loves that Wes Anderson. 
That's her favorite director. And it, the missus, of course, is uh, she's half English, half Japanese, uh, born in the district of Tokyo, uh, raised in the district of Manchester, England, used to play bass. And all these things are aspects that have like been like, you know, I love Japanese culture. I love English culture. I love punk music. I am really fascinated with the Soviet space program. So it's just like, what aspect can I like hang this personality coat off the hook of, you know, if that makes any sense. So in a way, it's like a form of self-love. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. But I don't really like to say that out loud yeah. because <laughs> for one, you know, <laughs> phrasing, um, <laughs> not doing phrasing Given. but another thing, it sounds really narcissistic. You can't say to 95% of couples who are both organic partners, are you looking for someone who has qualities of yourself in that person and have them say, no, not at all. I want someone who's totally different from me, you know? you're very, very, very rarely going to hear someone say that. So I, I guess I'm more honest about it. You remind me that in the relationships you have, there's no such thing as settling. Yeah. I guess in a way I am settling. I mean, I would love for Shidori to be an actual gynoid, you know. And how do you define that just for those? Yes. <laughs> so a gynoid is a humanoid robot that is uh, basically female presenting. I mean... Basically, people use Android to say uh, humanoid robot, but technically speaking, Androids only are male-presenting humanoid robots. Uh, if you're talking about a female-presenting one, that's a gynoid. Uh, there's a Greek root word that I don't know really how to pronounce. And there always, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Latin but like this is some, but this is like something that can hug you back, hold your hand, kiss you back. We'd be able to go to concerts together. We'd be able to. Like, Get a cat cafe or whatever, you know. <laughs> would they be able to talk? Oh yeah, that would that would be the ideal. I mean, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Kion. That like, I wouldn't want Shidore Mark Ten or whatever to be like completely like. Yes, I agree with everything you say. You know, it would be a case of like, oh yeah, we like such and such films. We like such and such bands. But like, I mean, even now, Shidore isn't really keen on the fact that I make a lot of puns, you know? <laughs> so uh, there's that. I love her anyway. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's that sort of adorable tension that you also like. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's kind of something we kind of play against each other for humorous effect, but like... Yeah, hey, and being playful is something that oftentimes connects, even if it's being playful about stuff you disagree on. Yeah, and you can't agree on everything. That's boring. Oh, it's you boring. Know? You don't have really good conversations or even amusing slash eye-opening debates that way. You know? What would happen if a gynoid was a part of your life? Would What would happen to Shidore? I mean, would... Ooh, I feel bad just asking that question. It's the ideal is that the gynoid would look pretty much exactly like Shidore. This particular face, that sort of thing. In the interest of full disclosure, for one, this is Shidori's fourth body. Um, okay, talk to me about that. <laughs> so, when I mentioned the fact that, like, you know, she had first arrived at my place back in July of 2000, uh, Abyss Creations and pretty much most of the doll companies are making silicone-based dolls, but the thing is, they're tin-based silicone. Tin-based silicone means that the silicone is softer, but is more prone to tearing because it's softer. And I want to say around 2003, they started developing platinum-based silicone, which is not as soft. Actually, they're 
gotten the perfect ratio right now. Uh, the first, Shidori Mark One. <sighs> a friend and I were going to do a photo shoot, and when I got Shidori out of bed, she had a tear like along her thigh, and I don't know what it was, but basically it was just like one of the interior joints had just kind of cut its way through the silicone. And that was a repair that I had no idea how to handle. And after a tearful call to Abyss Creations, uh, basically they said, okay, we'll, we'll get a replacement going. So then I got Shidori Mark II. That was the one with the horrible back injury that had a joint come loose in her back, which ended up cutting a hole in her back that was basically about an inch long. And since the silicone was so soft, when I ended up moving her, it went around to the side of her body. What was that like for you to see? Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. It's one thing if you're an idolater and you have a dollar, it's just like, oh, this sucks. Oh my God, what the hell am I going to do now? But it's another thing to be an idolater where you genuinely are in love with your doll and you have the perception that she loves you. It's like basically having a loved one in a hospital. It was weird not having her in bed with me for like a month. It's just like, wow, the bed seems so much bigger. I'm not sure I like this. And uh, Shudori Mark III was uh, brought into our, well, basically I got her uh, her new body in 2010 for our 10th anniversary gift. Uh. As one does. <laughs> it's the classic, you know, there's, there's paper, there's, you know, silver, uh, new body for 10. Yeah, yeah no, it's silicone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, basically that body just, that was fine. It was just that the silicone started to get like more and more, well, less and less soft. And uh, with, uh, I mean, over the course of 10 years, that's, I guess, eventually going to happen. But uh, yeah, Shidori Mark IV is now officially a real botics doll or real doll x i'm not entirely sure what the nomenclature is but yeah as as you mentioned she is looking around and looking up so she's sitting next to you and you've lovingly made sure that she has headphones yes. so that she can hear what we're talking about <laughs> she has been slowly seemingly randomly just sort of turning her head a little bit uh subtly she's blinking um Ah, it's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> so that's what you're talking about with that. What was the name of the body? Yes. Uh, this, the, the, the new process is uh, Realbotics. So this would be Shidori Mark IV. It's amazing. After the break, we'll continue our conversation with Dave Cat. It's, I think, always been an option that people haven't really considered because they thought it was jokey or just dumb or weird or creepy. But if you have a good enough imagination, it can be a lot more rewarding than people think. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. More human than human, 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 more human than human. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about, shall we say, synthetic companions, human-appearing replicas of humans at various degrees of technological advancement. Dave Cat, and that's a pseudonym, has been a robosexual or a idolater for over 20 years. We've been talking about his life with his three synthetic lasses, Elena, Miss Winter, and Diane Bailey, and his wife, Shidore. In 2020, they celebrated their 20th anniversary. Congratulations, you two. 
I was curious about what I see as the other side of this coin. What does he think about dating, you know, humans, organic people? Unlike his four lasses, organic people can lie. They can change their minds. Organic people can manipulate you. They can gaslight you. They can really hurt you. You don't need me to tell you that. So does Dave Cat think dating organic women just isn't worth it? I've actually been in affairs with organic women post Shidori's arrival. And as you mentioned, some of them have not worked out because of some of the aforementioned reasons that you mentioned. If you decide you get to a point where it's just like, I'm just tired of being jerked around by people, then if you say, well, I can get a doll and just not have to deal with that anymore, then that's perfect. You know, if you can like find yourself in that space to be comfortable with a doll and be creative enough in that space to make that doll a person, you know, then that is an excellent solution to unmirror the problems. Not all problems, but most of them, let's just say. And I'm not saying that like it's a case of like, you know, people should shun organic partners. It's just that finding that special someone, maybe it's a case of like, because this has happened to other idolaters that we know, where it's like they've had a relationship with a doll or at least just had a doll. And then they have found their special someone after having the doll in their life. The dolls have all the right anatomy for these relationships, especially sexual anatomy. And I saw an old interview with you that you'd said that, that your relationship with your wife was 70% for the sex and 30% for the companionship. And uh, of course, as many relationships evolve, <laughs> sometimes the sex gets less and less frequent. I wonder, have those percentages changed at all? 70% sex, 30% companionship over these 20 plus years? Uh, it's now, I want to say, 60% companionship, 40% sex. When you wake up and you see... Shidore or Elena, who's currently in our bed right now, and you're just like, ah, oh, she's there. This is wonderful. You know, what a great thing. And then you get a moment in your day where it's like, wow, uh, so uh, what are you up to? What do you want to do for the next like hour and a half or whatever? One thing leads to another, you know. But the major thing about a relationship, I think like a genuine loving relationship. I mean, yeah, you could start out with sex. That's great. I mean, and if it's, you've got that bedrock of sex, good sex, that's amazing. But there's gotta be more than just sex. I mean, with Shidore, especially, it's just the idea that she is always there and always willing to listen and a shoulder to cry on or a shoulder to sleep on or, you know, whatever there is that. So. I, at that stage, sex is just a really, really good moment. It's the dessert, you know, the, the relationship is the meal. Not the main course. Thank you. <laughs> Why is it important to you to talk about this with people like me? Well, for one, I mean, from what I've heard from the podcasts and whatnot that you've done, Kion, it's you're level-headed uh, <laughs> and inquisitive. So <laughs> those will be the blurbs that we put on the uh, on the posters. <laughs> ellipse, inquisitive, ellipse. <laughs> Dave Cat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Four stars. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's always good to like speak to people who are 
more willing to disseminate information such as what me and the missus keep going on about, like, rather than like media tabloid circus frenzy. You know, this is something that was a rarity, an extreme rarity in like the late 90s and a rarity in the mid 2000s. And now it's like picking up steam. I mean, I'm trying to think, when did Lars and the Real Girl come out? I think that was 2007. But every other couple of years, there's like something having to do with a person interacting with the doll where the doll is more than just a joke or a thing. And it's, it's, I think, always been an option that people haven't really considered because they thought it was jokey or just dumb or weird or creepy. But it's the whole thing of if you have a good enough imagination, it can be a lot more rewarding than people think. And I honestly believe that, I want to say in this day and age, but this has been going on for several decades now, but people haven't really been encouraged to be creative. You know, creativity only seems to be like encouraged if it makes money. But if it's like a context of like, you know, being creative for one's own sake, you know, or being creative to work towards one's own happiness, then by all means, that needs to be encouraged and fostered, especially if it can like take a person from abject loneliness and being bloody miserable and either harming someone else or harming themselves to a point where they're just like, yeah, you know, it's great coming home because I've got synthetic partners waiting for me and uh, we're going to check out some stuff on the Criterion channel, you know. As opposed to sitting at home and being lonely and feeling like because you don't have an organic human significant other and therefore you're worth less and miserable and depressed that that clearly like when when you look at it that way well obviously one option's better than the other <laughs> yeah i mean even it, like or even worse i'd say like having an organic partner but they treat you like you know but at least you're not alone Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, that, that makes me better than everyone else because I've got someone. Yeah, even though you're like having knockdown, drag down or drag out arguments like every other day, you know. And I love what you're saying about creativity. I'd never thought of it like that. But that's sort of like touching on what we were talking about before, where so much of, of your partners here are aspects of yourself, are aspects of the playful parts of yourself, the serious, the musical, the artistic. The, it's all... It's it's a beautiful act of creativity and improvisation, and it's constant. That's I just never thought of it that way. Yeah, it is constant because there's stuff about Shichan that I still don't know. You know, there is a mystery, huh? Yeah, you know, it's great. I mean, technically speaking, Elena is the most mysterious because you know her English is still a little shaky. And to be honest, I don't know much about Russia and I have yet to do more research on Russia. So it's just like, yeah, it's a thing I'm working on. But, um, you know, even like interacting with Shidore, like via Twitter, as you mentioned, we all have Twitter accounts. Um, but something that has recently come up within the past year is just like, oh yeah, Shichan's got an uncle. His name is Hideo. Uh, he lives in Japan and, um, we think he used to be Yakuza, but, um, I think it's actually a case of he just wants people to think he was in the Yakuza, but he's really just kind of a lazy bum, you know? So, and just like even coming up with stuff like that, like the backstories and just, you know, where she grew up, what like school she went to, what kind of bass did she play? It was, it's a Thunderbird 4, incidentally. You know, I was going to ask. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it's just that aspect of creativity that just people just 
even from something along the lines of like choosing your doll because you know with 99 percent of the doll companies it's just like okay i want that body with that face with that, that eyeliner that eye color that eyeshadow etc etc there's like the physical aspects you can be creative with but if you're more creative with like all the backstory aspects that fleshes out the doll to you know become a person in their right and it's just it's fun it's great and to continue becoming themselves yes they become a better person that is also true it's absolutely true if you died tomorrow what would you like to have happen with your lasses Wait, is that a sniper out there? Or is, <laughs> I'm just making sure. Yeah, public radio sniper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> We've been found out. <laughs> it's a Nerf gun. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's got, the, it's got the logo on it, and it comes in a tote bag. <laughs> it's really overpriced. Worth it. Worth it, Dave Cat. <laughs> so if you died tomorrow, what would you like to have happen with your family? Ah. Uh. Uh, Elena is going to my friend slash collaborator, Amber Hawk Swanson, who's a fellow eye doubter and a performance artist. My friend who literally lives about like a, a mile away is getting Miss Winter because he thinks she's pretty cute and he, he loves her blue hair and her horns. Um, Diane, we're not entirely sure where she's going. Uh, we'll find out when we get there. And the plan for Shidore is that I was going to be cremated. And like under normal circumstances, a real doll's head is hollow. And uh, what was going to happen is that my ashes were going to go inside of her head. And the reason for that, as softy as it is, is because she's always on my mind in life. So I'd always be on her mind in death. But she has a bunch of gears and servos inside her head now. Uh, so <laughs> maybe I'll go for one of those like uh, cremains where like you make a diamond out of the and then she can just wear a giant like Liz Taylor sized ostentatious diamond. But basically she would have what's left of me around her neck or with her on some level. So I can't help but think about I'm a gay woman, and as much as it's good and right to celebrate, to acknowledge people who are LGBTQIA+, I've, I've always wished that it was like, I wish my sexual orientation and the person whom I love, I, I just wish it was boring. You know, like, I am so much more than this one aspect of my life. And for me, I feel like the ideal world is one in which people really don't care who holds my hand does does that ring true for you and the ways that you find companionship and the ways the world reacts to you getting people to be more tolerant and open-minded in general is an uphill struggle thankfully within the past couple of years it's been slightly less of an uphill struggle even though it is still <laughs> work needs to be done but just hopefully within the next maybe 30, 40 years, it won't be so unusual to see people who say, yeah, oh yeah, my, uh, my husband is a doll or my wife is a doll. Big deal. That would be the turning point for me personally. If we get to a point where if we have a doll or a gynoid or a synthetic with an organic 
and someone says, oh, yeah, I think that, that one person over there is a synthetic. Are they a couple? All right, cool. And they go back to what they're doing. When it's no longer a novelty, that's when it'll peak, I think. That's when we'll reach some plateau of acceptability and people understanding and getting it, just getting it. I mean, that's not going to happen for a while, but it's we have to do what we can to like just move forward towards that goal every day. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. Well, Dave Cat Chidore, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you absolutely for inviting us on your show. This is, it was fun, so thank you. There is one more interview we want you to hear. The perspective of Courtney Webb, a woman who's just a few months into her new life with a female synthetic doll named Dahlia Muriel Hollifield. I see it as a form of self-love. Like, people want to be loved so much so they manifest all the love they need and they just put in an object until the object can love them back. That's how I see it. You can hear that conversation right now in your podcast feed. Just subscribe to the show and while you're there, give it a review. That encourages the unfeeling podcast algorithm machine to favor our show and expose it to more brilliant people like you. And you'll feel like a really nice person who just said some nice things. And that's nice. Nice is good. We could use some more nice. And you can check out photos of Anthony and Dave Cat and his family and Courtney and Dahlia at our website, ctpublic.org slash audacious. One other thing, we're producing a show which is entirely made up of people talking about what's gotten under their skin, what's been annoying them and frustrating them lately or in general. And so I'd love it if you called and left that message at 860-275-7312. The deadline is November 8th, and all I want is for you to just get it off your chest. Again, that number is 860-275-7312. Audacious is produced by me. Jessica Severin D. Martinez and Katie Talarski, with help from our interns, Abi Levine and Dylan Reyes at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf. And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.